the Sunday Sermons Podcast. How do we keep from trying to blend in, trying to make the gospel more palatable, more accessible, less offensive? How do we, how do we keep from doing that, even with good intentions? And at the same time, how do we get more relentless than ever about how to just use whatever resources God has given us, whatever opportunities and abilities he gives us to try our best to reach others with the gospel? These are the twin Ideas that the church has always wrestled with. And that's where we're going today. But whenever the church ever, in history or right now or in the future, ever gets it right, it's when it's all about Jesus. It's when the whole focus is 100% on Jesus himself. Who he is. The Messiah. The Savior. The Lord. The only one who can save us. And the Son of the living God. The only one who can truly claim all authority in heaven and on earth. The other way the church can ever get it right is when we actually get it the way Jesus sent us. Here's here's what Jesus said when he sent us out into the world. Peace be with you. And again, as we've looked at several times recently, when Jesus is talking about peace, he's not talking about a feeling of tranquility. He's talking about true unity. He's talking about something that transcends the circumstances that you, we find true healing, true unity in him. Peace be with you. And as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. The, the early church, they had watched what happened to Jesus. They saw it with their own eyes. So they had no illusions that him sending us out the way God had sent him might mean sacrifice, might mean death, might mean suffering. Most likely would not include riches or fame or a lot of other things we might wish it might include because that's not how God sent Jesus into the world, is it? I just asked the question. Nobody reacted. Are you guys hearing me this morning? Is this coming through? That's not how God sent Jesus into the world. Here's some other things Jesus says. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. They understood from the very beginning what Jesus was talking about when he said things like, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Some of them looked at some of the stories Jesus told like about hidden treasure or a pearl of great price. And they could see Jesus himself in there where he gave up everything to have the one thing that he knew he needed the most, which was to save us. But they all got it that what Jesus' primary message in that story was, was that that is exactly what God expects of us. We give up everything to follow him. He comes first. We trade everything else in life for him. And that's why the earliest symbols for Christianity all focused 100% on Jesus. Last week, I showed you the ichthus fish, the very oldest one there is. And we talked about that that's not about all the fish-related things Jesus said and did. It's an acronym of the Greek words that spell out Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior. 
If you say that phrase in Greek, it's the, those letters right there, which is pronounced ichthus, and that's the Greek word for fish. So this was a very memorable thing that reminded them our faith is about Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He's the only Savior. This is who Jesus is. That was their only symbol because that is who they were. They never dreamed that someday it'd be on guitar picks. They never dreamed that someday you'd be able to walk around with a a fish on your shirt or on your hat or a tattoo or God knows all the other places that we've put those in the way it's been marketed. They never dreamed of Christian movies and Christian bookstores and Christian whatever else. That never even occurred to them. But in secret, they would draw this little symbol to remind themselves what the whole thing was about. The same thing, this pie-looking one was another one. If you squint really hard, you can see those same letters superimposed over each other. The X, the I, the circle with the line through it. It's called a theta, the Y, Y, and even that funny-looking E-looking, actually an S kind of a sound letter. It's all in there. So I'm not saying that Jesus invented pie or pizza, but I am saying that that's one of the oldest symbols for Jesus that we know about. We tracking so far? And whenever we, like them, keep it all about Jesus, we get it right. And whenever we, like them, sometimes compromise a little bit or change something, we get it wrong. These are, that's just how it's always been. But as we looked at last week, at the end of what we call the apostolic era, the era when the first disciples, the first apostles were still alive, Every book except Revelation had already been not only written, but was being distributed and lived out. It wasn't a book yet. It wasn't one holy Bible. We'll get there in a couple weeks. But in scroll form, in letter form, it was being passed around. Revelation came right at the very end of that first century after Jesus was here. But against all odds, the church just kept growing and growing. There were waves of persecution and waves of time of peace. And in the times of peace, they met openly and they grew and they grew. People respected them because as they lived out the teachings of Jesus, people recognized things that they knew in their heart to be good. Justice, caring for the poor, widows and orphans and a whole bunch of other things they knew had to be good. Even if they didn't really get the whole Jesus thing yet, they respected that. But as soon as there was another wave of persecution, they'd literally go back underground. Some of the earliest places where they met that we know about, some of the places we see the most of these ichthus fishes and little pie chart looking things is down in the catacombs, tombs. Because sometimes they, if they couldn't meet in the open, if they couldn't meet publicly, they'd just keep on meeting. They'd keep on worshiping, but they would literally go underground. But again, the church just kept growing. The seven churches of Revelation were all in one. They were major ports. They were major uh, intersections. They were major places that everybody knew about these seven churches. And in the seasons when they could be open about it, it was there. And not only that, there were other people like Justin Martyr who started writing additional um, stuff about the truth. He, like Paul in the actual Bible, used stuff from Greek philosophy and other things to point to Jesus as the ultimate truth. I'd like to stop for just a second and clarify one more time. There's a huge difference between saying that all truth can be traced back to Jesus 
and to say all truth is equal. All truth is the same thing. Do you guys understand that? To say that if you and I completely disagree on something, we're on opposite ends, but both of what we're saying is true. That's nonsense. Maybe we're both wrong, but we can't both be right and say completely opposite things. Does this make sense to everybody? But if we're both partly true, whatever is true could be traced back to Jesus, the ultimate source of truth. Does does that make sense? And this is what Justin Martyr wrote about how he said, you know what? When the Greek philosophers said this and this and this, that was actually true. And, and Jesus isn't telling the truth because he agrees with them. They're telling the truth because they agree with Jesus and he hadn't even born yet. And that those basic kind of new ideas started percolating and it shaped how the early Christians thought because it built not only on Jesus himself, but also on the writings of Paul and just truth is truth, real truth that can be traced back to Jesus. This is not the same thing as compromise. When we think about the persecution that the church went under, especially in Rome, we're mostly thinking about the 10 years, roughly, the the first decade of the third century. And under Emperor Nero, that's when things got the worst they ever got. That was when they would throw Christians to the lions on a regular basis, and it was entertainment. That's when they would light their parties by impaling them, dipping them in tar and lighting them on fire, still alive, to light parties or even just light the streets. To be a Christian was the worst thing you could be for about a decade. And yet somehow it was during that decade that the church kept growing. And by the end of that decade, the emperor of Rome himself, Constantine, sometimes called Constantine the Great, became a Christian. It was one of the most amazing illustrations that Jesus knew what he was talking about. I will build my church on the foundation that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, and the very gates of Hades, hell, death, whatever you want to call Hades there, nothing is going to stand against me and my church. So Constantine became a Christian, which is awesome. But then things started getting complicated because this was the emperor of Rome. And he was a new Christian. And so as you start reading the history of Rome, not just the history of Christians, but the history of Rome and the history of the world, you're going, wait a second, I don't, that doesn't look like Jesus. Some of the stuff does, some of the stuff doesn't. Uh, one of the first things that he did as a Christian emperor was he had a vision that God said that if he emblazoned his swords with a sim- another old symbol that represented Jesus, it's called the Cairo or Kiro, depending on who who you're talking to, but it's the two first letters of the Greek word Christos, which means Christ. Kiro. Everybody see that? He said if he, he had this vision that if he put that on all of their swords, they would win this huge victory. So he had to put on all the swords and the Roman army actually won that victory. And he gave all the credit to God. Sounds great, right? It's kind of like Tebowing. Do you guys remember the Tebow thing, Tim Tebow? And it's always really cool, isn't it, when somebody really famous and really rich and really successful says, I'm a Christian. And we go, yeah, that's my team. That's so exciting. It's fun. Except a lot of those people, I'm not saying this about Tim necessarily. I'm just saying 
a lot of those people really don't necessarily live out everything Jesus said. But people start watching them because they said they believe in Jesus. And it gets complicated. And it raises a lot of questions. Why would God answer Tim's prayer to help him win a football game and not answer my prayer that this person I love would get healed? Do you understand what I'm saying? To, 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 to go way far down that path gets really, really complicated. And that's what was happening. But again, some great things were happening with Constantine. And some great things can happen whenever we do the same thing. When we use all the talents God gives us, when we use all the opportunities he gives us, amazing things can happen. One of the first legal things he did was pass what's called the Edict of Milan. And that was where religious freedom became a real thing. And we still, that, you can trace America's obsession with religious freedom all the way back to that. It was, it was a huge idea. It was a big thing. And not only the Christians stopped getting persecuted, but so did everybody else. It was a really big deal. The truce that they were making between the church and the state was not entirely bad. Here's some other wonderful things that came out of that. Some ways that we could emulate their example in this era of the church. Constantine understood the importance of unity. He worked this unity idea into not only what he did as a Christian, but also as the emperor. He did whatever he could to keep everybody unified based on certain ideas, even if they completely disagreed about certain other things. He used what he had. He used the money and the influence and the power and the authority that he had. And he gave all the credit to Jesus. And he was zealous. He was proactive. He made up new ways to get good stuff done. Is this, who thinks this sounds really great so far? It does. Whenever any of us do that, whenever that's how we live, and you use your talent for mowing grass, your talent for singing, your talent for writing, your talent for being a friendly, kind person, your talent for cooking, your talent for making money and sharing it, you name it. Whatever talent, whatever platform God gives you, when you use that 100% for God, great stuff happens. May we always follow that. May we live relentlessly like that. But here's the flip side. Here's the problem. I remember watching uh, the, the Grammys several years ago, and Bono was on the same platform as a whole bunch of other people who had made a bunch of albums that were just... Honestly, just completely blasphemous, just completely just wrong. All the lyrics were just filthy. But they'd get up every time and say, I want to thank God. I'd like to thank God. So Bono gets up there and he says, <clears throat> I'm quoting, make sure I get this right. He says, when these people get up at the Grammys and say, I thank God, I always imagine God going, oh, don't. Please don't thank me for that one. Please. Oh, that's an awful one. Don't thank me for that thought that was pretty bold, kind of funny. But I think a lot of times that's what God is saying when he sees us, the Christians around the world, and we go, let's give glory to God for this, whatever that we just did. And he goes, that wasn't me. That wasn't me. Don't, don't blame that one on me. And again, the more relentless we get, the more mistakes we might accidentally make. But this twin focus has to, we have to constantly be vigilant of both. Use everything God gives you in every way possible to build his kingdom on earth. But don't compromise. Don't change it. Don't 
flavor it differently. Don't repackage it. Don't spin it. Don't make it different. The hope is in Jesus himself. Jesus said himself, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my father in heaven. And Jesus himself said some things like, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And that doesn't mean you can't be a Christian and work for the government. That doesn't mean you can't be a Christian and work in law enforcement or whatever else. It just means they aren't the same thing. And the kingdom of heaven transcends every job you'll ever do. It transcends every opportunity you'll ever have. Every talent or skill set you'll ever have and have an opportunity to use. It's not the same thing. Being rich, being famous at football or anything else does not mean necessarily that God is blessing you. There's two different things going on at the same time. Is this tracking? Are we getting this? Praise God. A little bit more from Jesus himself. And then we're going to look at something else really cool that Constantine did. Jesus said, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. My encouragement to you is to live that kind of life, live that kind of way. And if you are a leader, to be that kind of servant leader, that kind of humble leader, whether you're leading one person or a thousand people or whoever else is behind you, this is the ideal Jesus gives us. Not building up power, building up fame, building up our brand, but using whatever platform we have for him. Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples If you love one another. So now we come to the beginning of the next phase. Next week we'll talk about this next thing called the Nicene area. It's just going to barely start today. And it starts with something called the Council of Nicaea. Has anybody ever heard this one? It got a lot of false press kind of recently. A couple years ago there was a movie that came out called The Da Vinci Code. And the accusation made in the Da Vinci Code was that before the Council of Nicaea, which was in 325, that the idea that Jesus was God was not really part of the equation. The idea that Jesus was anything more than a teacher wasn't there, but that Constantine had somehow came up with this idea that if people could worship Jesus as a God, then he could unify Rome. It's 100% backwards of what actually happened. See, all these things that we've been reading were already completely done two centuries before the Council of Nicaea. All these things that we've been talking about, who Jesus was, and them drawing the ichthus fishes, and meeting underground, and literally giving their lives for the idea that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that had been happening for centuries before that council got together. It's absolute nonsense. If you ever hear that, it's becoming a popular myth these days. It's absolute nonsense. It's not history. It's not what happened. I'll tell you what actually happened really quickly, and then we're going to celebrate the truths that they were onto, because that's what we're really here about. I know everybody's not really into history as much as me, but you can see, like you can see truth in philosophy, and you can see truth even in other religions, here and there, we have to measure all of it back against Jesus himself. 
and against the actual word of God. And that's what we're doing here this morning. So here's what actually happened in the Nicene era. Uh, Against, I don't think they did it on purpose, but there got to be more and more syncretism. Uh, The lines got blurrier and blurrier between Rome and the church. And that was dangerous and always will be. But they had this thing called the Council of Nicaea. It was Constantine's idea because Christians were fighting each other. They had all these theological problems. And besides the Bible and besides several new writings that actually confirmed things that were in the Bible, some of which ended up in what the Catholics still use in their Bible. It's called the Apocrypha. Some of those still ended up in that version of the Bible. There were some that harmonized with what the scriptures say. But there were a whole bunch that didn't. There were a whole bunch that said that Jesus wasn't God's son or that he never really was physically on the planet at all. It was just a a spirit version of him. So he didn't really die or come back to life. It was an illusion. And someone said, no, he's just really just a person and all this other nonsense and stuff that we added later. And there were all these other different things. So he said, Constantine said, we're going to get everybody together. We're going to talk this out and we're going to decide once and for all. And here's what they decided together. It's all about Jesus. Does that sound familiar? And the scriptures that we're going to agree are the Holy Bible, the set aside scriptures that we know for sure are scriptures, are the ones that confirm that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That one way or another, the Old Testament and New Testament, those books are all going to 100% harmonize. And whichever ones all tell the same story, and it's all about Jesus... We know for sure those are them. And any of it that contradicts those or muddies the water a whole lot, that doesn't get to be part of the final group. That's what the Council of Nicaea was about. In fact, they came up with this little, almost a poem that they did together. And I'd like you to read it out loud with me uh, in in three verses. You ready? We're going to say this together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. I'm going to pause real quick. I want you to read this part too. Um, If you really want to know what the Bible says about Jesus descending into hell, it's not always what I've seen in Passion Plays. It's always usually this big MMA fight between Jesus and the devil with flames everywhere. That's not actually what the Bible says. You can find it. It's in your notes there. It's already published. Ephesians 4 and 1 Peter chapter 3. But it does say that Jesus descended, and it does say that he won the battle, and we're going to keep going. I just wanted to say that. That might be a cool rabbit trail for somebody to follow. Let's get back in. Here we go. He descended into hell. The third day he arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. Notice it's all about who? Jesus. One more verse. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church. Let me pause one more time. We're going to read that together too. By Catholic, it's not talking about the denomination 
Catholic Church, like, like we think of today. Catholic means unified and universal. It means the one true church. We actually talk about that all the time. And a lot of times I'll say the capital T, capital C church, the church. And, and that's, that's what that means. And that's what we're saying we believe. Okay? I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. And that amen is one of my favorite parts of the whole thing. A lot of times we just say amen, we don't really know what it means. But what it means is, so be it. I agree. Yes. Me too. Go team. Are you with? Not that me too. I saw you laughing. But I guess it could mean that too. But that's not where we're going. It means, yes, I agree. This is going to be part of my life. When we say amen, that's what we're agreeing to. We're going to do this together. Here's a couple last scriptures and a couple last ideas. But first, let me tell you a quick story about one of my heroes named Rich Mullins. How many have ever heard of Rich Mullins? If you've ever sang the song, Awesome God, that's a song that he wrote. But when he won a major uh, award for his music one night, he did something nobody expected. uh, There's a lot of crazy stories about him. He also was a messed up guy in a lot of ways and was really open about that. He got in trouble about his openness with his struggles, even from the stage sometimes. But one of the things I loved that he did was uh, he won this award. He walked off stage. He set the little statue down. He kept it. It was all good. But then he went backstage and he paid one of the waiters to let him wear their little white jacket thing. You know, there's too many buttons and stuff. And then he went down to the place where the big gala was going to happen afterwards for all the people who'd won. And he served punch all night. And nobody knew. And I don't know about you, but that, that sounds a lot to me like using all of your gifts and all of the opportunities you're given and glorifying Jesus, but still being someone who likes to wash someone else's feet. 1 Corinthians 15, 2 to 4. Once again, the emphasis, whenever the Bible itself talks about the gospel, it's always pointing back to Jesus. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And again, this idea of him coming back to life was not something that happened at the Nicene, at the nice, I I can't say, I, I got that backwards. The Nicene, the Council of Nicaea, the Nice, I can't even say it. You get the idea, right? Can I move on? Let's just move on. Gosh, I can't believe that. Anyway, here's the thing. (laughs) That wasn't something they made up. That had been talked about and understood and died for for 150 years before that thing ever happened. Okay? They were just clarifying certain things. And the, the, the actually, here's what Paul says about the actual physical resurrection of Jesus. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. 
you're still in your sins. And then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. And that's why he wrote to his young uh, protege, Timothy. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Power from God himself. Love from God himself. That's bigger than any love that we could generate on our own. And self-discipline to actually get the job done. He uses this cool illustration also talking to Timothy. He says, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. And similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. I don't know what you do for a living, what you do for fun, what kind of a hobby you have, but you probably know exactly what he's talking about. You could put your job, your hobby, your passion into that. Gardening, you just throw anything in there. You know that there's certain ways to get you do things to get certain results, right? And you know if you compromise too much, you're not going to get the results you want. And if you don't do anything at all, you're not going to get any results at all. We all understand this. It's just the exact same thing in our faith. Again, Paul to Timothy, remember, Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David. That's a reference to him being the promised Messiah. This is my gospel. This is my royal proclamation that Jesus Christ is king. In one of my favorite songs ever of Rich Mullins, he says this, And I believe what I believe is what makes me what I am. I did not make it. No, it is making me. It is the very truth of God and not the invention of any man. So how do we live that out? One very practical example I gave you last week, I want to remind you, it's been a whole week. I don't know if you all did this or not, but I'm going to keep reminding you. If you can come up with a better acronym, go for it. Tell me about it. I'll share yours. But I like, I like this one, uh, and I gave full credit last week. I'll give, show you the guy's picture again later, but it was bells. Does this sound familiar to anybody? It's easy to remember. Make sure somehow, some way, you bless somebody. You do something physically or spiritually. Somehow or another, you help somebody connect better with God this week. That's the B. You eat with somebody, preferably another Christian. Just when you eat with somebody, you fellowship better. It just works. You commit to somehow or another, you're going to keep learning and keep listening, especially learning to, from the scriptures and listening to the spirit of God. And finally, you, you, you send someone. You, you, you work together to make sure that we are reaching the community. And you remember that you are someone who is sent. And you live that way. You daily send yourself out of your comfort zone, out of your little box. You daily get yourself out of there and share something with someone else. Those are the church bells that really draw people in. Not just the ding-dong kind of stuff up in a tower. And if we make this a habit, if we live it relentlessly, it's going to work. And you can do that wherever you are. 
Every single Sunday we offer what we call an invitation. We get that from the story in Acts chapter 2. The very first time people met as a church, they had an invitation. Peter invited them to participate in the truth he just shared with them. This morning we're going to do that. It's going to be a little bit different. Uh, This is that Rich Mullins song that I just referred to you. Uh, I just quoted. And if you know it, or if you want to try and sing along, please do. Uh, I'd love for you to stand. Uh, If you don't know it, it's okay. Just read the words. Enjoy the truth as it waves over you. But what I really need everybody to do is to make a choice in the direction of Jesus. Since I'm up here, the only person you can talk to is going to be right there. That's my dad. It's just off camera. You can't see it. That's intentional. You have privacy while you talk to him. If you've got a decision you need to make or you want to pray, let's do that together. But let's worship. Here we go.